Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Caleb Kingsley. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Well, today um, I have the awesome privilege of getting to share the Word of God. So uh, we're going to be probably more of a teaching today rather than a, uh, necessarily a preaching. Uh, we're going to go after a lot, a lot, a lot of content. Um, we're going to go after a huge chunk of story that's going to surround the David and Goliath story. And yet David and Goliath is not um, its story by itself. It's a story that includes uh, David and Goliath, and yet it starts way before that with King Saul and then the young anointed King David. And so we're going to kind of talk through um, all the different caveats that that story ends up creating um, through Saul's decisions, through David's decisions, and even through Goliath's decisions. So uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be anywhere from 1 Samuel 8 all the way up to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to kind of brush through 8 through 15, and then we're going to really hunker down in 16 and 17. Um, But a few things to think about first. Um, We've got Goliath, who's probably the tallest of all the Philistines. Obviously, he's a giant, ginormous dude. Comes out and says, hey, send somebody to come fight me. You're best against me, and whoever wins, that country will bow down to the other country. Send your best. But he says, I defy the armies of Israel, I defy the servants of Saul to, to come up with somebody. And basically, he's calling Saul out. And we're going to find out why. But Goliath is the tallest on the entire battlefield in this David and Goliath story. And then we've got Saul, who we're going to find out in a little bit, but he is the tallest Israelite. He's head and shoulders above every other person in the entire country. And so he, on the battlefield, is the only one who probably seems worthy, who probably seems strong enough, who probably seems of the right stature to be able to go after Goliath. And yet, for 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath makes the same challenge, and Saul never comes out of his tent. He never goes out to defend the country that he was given by God to lead. And then we've got this little guy named David, this little shepherd boy, who let's say he's 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, I think he's probably anointed at 15. And then sometime in that next year, two years, three years, that's when the battle with Goliath takes place. And so we've got David. He's the smallest of his family. And he's probably the youngest at the battle. And yet he's the only one who steps forward. He's the only one who says, I will fight this Philistine. I will take him down. Now, here's the deal. We have Saul on one side who's big enough, strong enough, um, in the position to be able to take on Goliath but doesn't. And then we have this little shepherd boy who shows up to the fight and says yes to it. What happened in their lives, in their, in their lives, What happened in their choices that led to this interaction? For everyone who was there at Tribes two weeks ago, I preached this message. Um, 
it's not for lack of content. We really felt like this was a good sermon to try to bring today, but I do feel that God's going to highlight some new things for you. I know I got some new things leading up to today, so don't check out because you heard the story. God may be trying to speak something again to get it into your heart and into your, into your, into your soul and into your mind. And so we've got these two guys. We've got to figure out what's going on. And so uh, if I was going to title this message, I would probably call it The Basics of Calling. Because it's really about the calling of Saul and the calling of David. And so if you want to First Samuel 8, um, I'm not really going to sit in that space, but I just want you to mark that chapter. Um, this is an extraordinarily important chapter. There's two times in Scripture, there's probably a lot more than that, but there's two that I know of where the people reject God openly. And so the first one is when the people of Israel have just left Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. Moses is up on top, or like halfway up the mountain, the elders, and then all the people of Israel. God comes down onto Sinai, thunder, lightning, loud, booming voice. And the people say, whoa, 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 this is too trippy. We can't do this. We can't do it. So you go talk to God and then come back and tell us what's happening. At that moment, Israel rejected God to be able to speak to them personally. And then it happens again here in 1 Samuel 8. The people come to Samuel and say, hey, all the other nations have a king. We want a king. Everybody else looks cool. We don't. We have this God who sends prophets and judges. We don't want to judge anymore because what happens when you die, Samuel, and your, and your wicked kids take over, we need someone good to take care of us. And so Samuel says, okay, I'll go talk to God. And God tells Samuel... Actually, they had this dialogue, and Samuel's concerned because they said, give us a king to judge us. They weren't supposed to have kings. They were supposed to have judges. But then God tells Samuel, hey, guess what? They haven't rejected you as a judge, but what they have done is rejected me from being king over them. So this is the context for why Saul gets selected as king. And the best part is God doesn't get fiery, angry, and then decide, I'm going to smoke Israel. Like, he doesn't do that. He says, hey, hey, Samuel, I realize that this was painful for you. Because they basically said, we don't want you to do your job. We want somebody else to do it. But here's the deal. They haven't rejected you. So for some of us, when it comes to being a prophetic voice for our church, for our community, for your family... It's so hard because so many times people choose to reject the prophetic because they would rather have somebody rule over them and just tell them what to do. Because the truth is prophets do try their best to share what God is speaking over the people, and yet it's up to the people to decide what they want to do with it. Whereas if there's a king, there's a mandate of what they should do. And if you don't do it, you get in trouble. And so it's a, it's a different world. It's a different style. They came out of Egypt expecting a certain style of leadership from a judge, and yet God is their king, and he doesn't even demand them to do things. He actually allows them to ask for a king, and he tells Samuel, hey, guess what? Um, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me, and yet I want you to tell them that this is going to change things. And so he goes through all of it. It all gets changed. The people still don't care. They, all they want is a king. So then you go to 1 Samuel 9. There's a man named Kish who has a son named Saul. Saul's the king that we're going to talk about. 
The family had some donkeys run away. Saul goes to look for them. Along the way, he can't find them. He runs into Samuel, who the night before, Samuel had a visitation from God, and he said, I'm bringing you the man who you're going to anoint as king. So Samuel knows I'm about to meet the next king. Saul walks up to him and says, hey, we need to talk to you. And he goes, where are you from? He's like, oh, yeah, like I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Like, don't worry. We've got some missing donkeys. And, like, and Samuel's like, no, 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 no. The donkeys have been found. Don't worry about it. Um, I need you to come eat with me. I need you to come hang out. And Saul's like, okay, this is weird. He's already worried that his dad will be worrying about him. And then they sit down to eat. The next day, um, Samuel lays out for Saul, hey, I actually, you're going to be king. You're going to be king, and this, 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 and this is going to happen. And so in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 10, Samuel anoints Saul. But there's a very important thing that happens in chapter 9. Sorry, I'm jumping back. In 1 Samuel 9, none of the people will eat of the sacrifice until Samuel arrives, the prophet arrives. And it's extraordinarily important because, number one, Saul gets invited to that feast, and he gets to sit down, he gets to see that nobody touches food until the prophet comes and sits down and blesses it, and then they eat. This is something that will get Saul into trouble later, but we'll get there. So 1 Samuel 10, Samuel anoints Saul, and then he says, you're going to run into some prophets, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you mightily. And then um, Samuel calls all the people together, and then they're going to anoint Saul as king. And this is what I want us to focus on right here in 1 Samuel 10. It's verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 20 through 24. This is the nature of which Saul was called into being king. And I want us to catch this because it's super important. 1 Samuel 10, 20 through 24. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel forward, and the tribe of Benjamin was selected by Lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin forward by its families, and the Metrite, that's, I hope I'm saying that right, family was selected by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was selected by Lot. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, behold, he is hiding himself among the baggage. God knows where we hide out. God knows where we're hiding. God knows where we find comfort. And I want, I, I really, I have to highlight this already. Saul was found in the baggage. When you are found in your baggage in the middle of your calling, in the middle of your release, in the middle of your recognition, guess what? That baggage is going to stay with you over and over and over again until you deal with it. So if you have issues, and it's the same issue that you've had with every single person, this was me for a long, 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 long time. Every time I got around any form of, of authority that I was working for, I would kind of kick back against the status quo that we would try to keep, even though we weren't doing the thing that we promised to do. So I kind of, that's somewhere buried in my nature somewhere, and I have learned how to give that to God, and yet there's still this immediate prick that kind of comes up in my spirit that I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. And then God's like, but have you considered it? Have you thought about it? And so I can either stay in my baggage or I can leave my baggage. Saul decides to stay in his baggage. Now, other translations say that this was like the quartermaster, this is the supplies, but these are all the things that he would have brought with him, that all the people that came to see the new king 
what it brought with them, and they left it in the care of what the scriptures say as the baggage keeper. And so I thought that word was extraordinarily, it jumped out at me one day, and I'll tell you why in a little bit, because David has a similar experience. But here's the funny thing. I just found this out. I just looked this up. The moment that Saul was anointed, it would be another 12 years before David would be born. And so you have a king who was anointed in a time when the other king hadn't even been born yet, and, and yet 1 Samuel 13 Saul decides that he's going to do whatever he wants to do. And at that point, he basically, like Samuel comes to him and says, hey, man, like, you've grieved the heart of God. You decided to kill the sacrifice without me being there. And Samuel tells him, hey, man, like, God's already anointing another king who's after his own heart. And I have to imagine that sent Saul right back to his baggage again. I have to imagine, because he thinks he's going to do something that he thinks is right, but he went against God's word, which was, wait for Samuel to arrive. And when Samuel arrives, he'll kill the goat, the blood will be spilled, you get to go into battle, and you'll win. Well, it says that Samuel didn't show up at the allotted time, and Saul got nervous. Saul started to worry the same way he worried for the donkeys in the beginning of the story, and he, he kills the sacrifice. He says, I've seen him do it a thousand times. We don't need to lose this war. I'm going to sacrifice it on my own, and we'll just do it my way. And when he does that, Samuel shows up and says, man, like, God's actually getting ready to anoint someone who cares about what he has to say, who cares about his heart, who cares about the things that are, are important to God. And at this point, maybe David is born. Maybe he's born at that point. Maybe he's a young boy, but God already had it in his mind. God already had it in his heart that David was coming. 1 Samuel 15, um, God tells uh, Samuel, and Sa- Samuel tells Saul to go defeat Amalek, but Saul keeps him alive and all of the choice livestock. This is where Saul's story begins to end, and it's almost the beginning of David's story. It says that God rejects Saul from being king because Saul rejected the word of the Lord. So here's the deal. If we feel that we are called to ministry, and yet we won't deal with the baggage at the beginning of our ministry. I believe that God gives us opportunity each and every time that we decide to make a bad decision so that we can deal with it. It's not that you have to deal with it at the beginning, otherwise you can't do ministry. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we all have some level of baggage that will rear its head back up every time you're put into some level of authority, every time you're put into some level of submission, And if you fight against these things or if you use your authority to try to bash people and own people and destroy people, then all of a sudden we're not actually walking in leadership. We're walking in something else. And so Saul thought, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. I need to win the battle. I'll I'll use a cheat. I I will take the shortcut. I won't wait for what God said. And then he does it again. God called him as king. Why is he hiding? If God called him as king, why is he hiding? Okay, if God called him as king, why is he not waiting on Samuel if that's what God said to do? If he's called him as king, how come he kept the king that he was supposed to have killed alive, and then why did he save all of the livestock? It's because Saul was constantly found hiding in himself. And without jumping too far ahead, David is a man after God's own heart. That's what Samuel said in 1 Samuel 13. 
He's a man for God's own heart. David has an adulterous relationship. He kills her husband, tries to cover it up. He creates a census later on in life. He tries to build a, ta- a tabernacle for God. He does all these things that God says, hey, this isn't what I want you to do. And yet every time that happens, David softens his heart and says, man, I'm so sorry. You're right. It might not have been immediate, but David had the heart after God that said, I'm, you're right. I've got to change. Saul said, it's my way. David said, it's God's way. And so 1 Samuel 15, read all these chapters. There's incredible depth. I wish we could spend time in all of them because there's huge, huge stories in each of these chapters. But 1 Samuel 15, Samuel gets rejected. And, or, sorry, Saul gets rejected. And then Samuel begins looking for the next king in 1 Samuel 16. And so Saul goes to Bethlehem. And this is the funny thing. Like, we all say, like, um, Jesus is of the line of David. We all say that. Uh, Jesus sits on the throne of David, and we have all these prophetic things about Jesus and David, and yet I kind of forgot that David grew up in Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem, how sweet the city lie. So, like, all the things that have to do with David being a prophetic picture of who Jesus was to come, but also Jesus fulfilling who David was, it just clicked for me this week. So Samuel goes, and he talks to this man named Jesse who has eight sons, and he says, come, and let's, let's go to the feast, and we will anoint the one who's supposed to be king. All the sons come forward, and Samuel looks and goes, oh, this is a big dude. It's got to be him. It's Eliab. It's Jesse's firstborn, and he probably looked like Saul, but he wasn't quite David, and God actually has to stop Samuel and say, do not anoint him for he is not the one that I've selected. Before we get any further, how many of you as an older sibling, how many of you as someone who's had more tenure, who's been at a job longer, have been overlooked for the promotion, have been overlooked for the favor, have been overlooked for the blessing? How did that make you feel? Immediately that can send me to my baggage. Immediately, that can send me to my insecurity, my fear, my anger, my worry, and all these different places that all of a sudden begin to, like, attack everything that God's been saying to the point where I forget what God told me to do and I start doing what I want to do. So that happens with Eliab, and it happens with all six of the other brothers. So for the first seven boys in Jesse's family all get told, it's not you. Samuel says, hey, do you have another son? And Jesse's like, yeah, we got <laughs> David, but he's out in the shepherd field, and he goes, send for him, and none of us are going to sit until he arrives. How do you know the measure of a prophet? Their consistency with the things of God. If God said that we're to anoint the king before we eat, Samuel says, I will not sit down. Now, here's the deal. David's not in the backyard. He's in, like, the back country. To send and retrieve David would be a huge overtaking. It would not have been a five-minute walk. It wouldn't have been a quick call out the back door, David. It would have been we have to send servants, maybe on camelback, I don't know, maybe on horseback, maybe on sheepback. All of those options would be amazing. And so they send for David. David comes back, and God says, that's him. Anoint him. Imagine being David coming out of the field, walking into your house, 
and all seven of your brothers are eyeing you with death in, your, in their eyes. You don't even know why you've been called yet. You don't even know why you've been brought to the table. All you know is, hey, I'm, my sheep are out there. What's going on? All of his brothers looking at him. I can only imagine with disdain. Meanwhile, the prophet comes forward and anoints him and kisses him. The spirit of the Lord falls on David and stays with him from that day forward. Why are we talking about that? Because of where Saul got called and how he was found and how David was called and how he was found will impact what happens in the valley with Goliath. And the best part is, is that David doesn't get entitled with the anointing and say, where's my crown? Where's my throne? Where's my ring? Where's my shoes? Where's my robe? Did I mention the crown? Like, he doesn't do that. He's like, sweet, love you guys. I'm going to go back shepherding. This was great, Samuel. You seem like an awesome dude. I got to get back to work. So David stewards the little things. He takes care of the sheep that he was entrusted with. That is the measure of a good king. Because God says it all throughout Scripture, but especially to David, he says, hey, I didn't call you as a, as a king. I called you as a shepherd to lead my people. And so it's all about the heart of where you're found. That's the heart of where God wants to take you. And so Saul was in search of donkeys when he was found. And so he should have been in search of the prophets and kept the prophets close. But when he didn't keep Samuel close, he ended up losing that which he gained. David, on the other hand, constantly keeps his sheep close, except for that whole Bathsheba thing. And when, but when he does, when he keeps the sheep close, he's staying, he's staying in the heart of the Father. He's staying in the heart of God. So he goes back to work, and then um, he, Samuel gets anointed. And then it says in 1 Samuel 16, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and then he began to be tormented by this evil spirit that was sent by God. Most terrifying verse I've ever read in all of Scripture. Please go read it. And so Saul says, I need somebody to come do something about this spirit. And one of his workers says, okay, there's a little shepherd boy, a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who plays beautifully. I've heard him. You got to call for him. Saul, the king, who's lost the anointing, by the way, but still has the kingship. Sorry, still has the anointing, but the spirit has left him. And it says that the spirit of the Lord has left him. Calls for David to come play for him. When David arrives, he plays lyre or the guitar with his hand. And when he does, the evil spirit departs Saul. At this moment, if we were a Saul character in the form of David, we would say, hey, I think you're sitting in my chair. David doesn't say that. David ministers to the king, and he never abandons Saul. Saul tries to kill him. Saul tries to trap him. Saul tries to kill him over and over and over again. David has the chance to kill him twice. He doesn't. And even when Saul dies one day, someone celebrates Saul's death, and David says, kill that man. We do not celebrate the destruction of God's anointed. So even though Saul has lost it, David still recognizes the authority. You want to know why? Because David is an authority to his family when it comes to shepherding sheep. He understands the dynamic. 
do we understand the dynamic? Because a lot of us in the American church, if someone's not doing it the way that we would do it, we take matters into our own hands. We begin to act a little more like Saul than we do like David. This is going to be kind of funny, but if you're with your family right now, just kind of turn to somebody who's next to you, and if you're by yourself, you can ask yourself this question if you want. Are you a little more like Saul, or are you a little more like David? Please don't answer that for your family. I don't want to start division in the home, but begin to ask yourself that question. Hey, how have I been operating? I know until I was about 25 years old, I operated as Saul. I would always find my way to make it better, to make it more work better for me, and I would do what I wanted to do. And then God, probably over the last three years, has really been softening my heart to try my best to not walk in what I have walked in, but to try to walk in what David was trying to walk in, which means I still fail, which means I still don't communicate properly, but I'm willing to walk it out. I'm willing to go after what God wants and what his best is for us. And so David becomes Saul's armor bearer, and he plays for him any time that the evil spirit comes. All right, we made it. Samuel 17, the war with the Philistines happened. Goliath comes out. He curses the armies of Israel for 40 days and 40 nights. He calls out the servants of Saul. David stays behind to tend his father's sheep, runs back and forth between the war and his family because he, he recognizes his need to be a shepherd and his need to be an armor bearer. I feel that God is calling the next generation to begin to carry more weight than what they've been carrying. Because if you've been a good shepherd, God is going to honor that and bring you now to the armor bearer status and then eventually to the king status. Like, don't, don't be limited by people's limitations. Don't be limited by what people say you can and cannot do. If God has called you into it, walk in it. And if God has sent for you, say yes to it. And so Jesse sends David to deliver some food to his brothers and, it's, and, and this, is, this is the whole buildup of everything we read about Saul to this moment. 1 Samuel 17, 20 through 22. So David got up early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper. Number one, if you have responsibility and you're going to be gone from work, gone from church, gone from your house, don't just leave and expect everybody to clean up the mess after you. The heart of David, the heart of God, is someone who says, I have responsibility, I'm going to leave it. In the, in the hands of a keeper. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have people who can watch your kids with no questions asked? Do you have some people who can take care of your ministry responsibilities or your work responsibilities without questions asked? Those are the people who I would call keepers. You want to walk with those people. And so it says that David left the sheep in the hands of the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the, the entrenchment encircling the camp while the army was going out in battle formation, shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines drew up in the battle formation, army against army. Then, and this is the verse you have to circle, underline, everything you got to do to your Bible. Then David left the baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. And he entered and greeted his brothers. What? When Saul was called for to be king, he was hidden in the baggage. Scared, worried, probably feeling insecure and insignificant, hiding in the thing 
and I realize I'm taking this with a grain of salt. Like, I'm not, like, saying that he was actually hiding in his emotions, but he probably was. Something doesn't send you to hide in the, in the, in the storage facility unless you are petrified of what you're about to go through. Meanwhile, not the king yet, 14, 15, 16-year-old David hears the war cry, leaves his baggage, and runs into the battle. Saul's get stuck in their baggage. David leaves his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. Will you put your baggage into Jesus' hands? That insecurity, that need to be right, the pride, the ego, the, the pain, the trauma, the places that people hurt you, the places that people betrayed you and rejected you? Can you begin to place those things into the hands of Jesus? We can't get to the battle unless we do. So David comes up, he says, hey, what's going to happen to whoever kills this dude? And this is the beginning of the questioning of David. 1 Samuel 17, 28 through 30 says, Now Eliab, his older brother, heard him when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David, his own brother burned against David. And he said, Why is it that you have come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Have you even done your job? Why are you here? Nobody wants you here. I myself know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. Whoa. How many of us have said that? We know why the person's acting crazy. For you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Eliab was probably correct in the fact that David did come to see the battle. He was sent by his dad to bring food for his brother, and yet his brother doesn't say thank you. He questions him. But then David is actually saying, like, hey, I got excited once I got here, but I didn't come because of it. Wasn't it just a question? Then he turned away from, his, from him, his brother, to another and said the same thing, and the people replied all the same words as before. If you kill him, title, money, marriage, the whole nine yards. So I'll tell the rest of it because we've got just a couple of minutes left. Saul finds out what David has said, brings him to his chamber. Now remember, Saul, who's the king, who's the tallest in all the land, sits in his, um, in his tent for 40 days and 40 nights while Goliath is calling out curses. All of a sudden, tallest man in Israel, short little boy looking at each other, and Saul says, all right, dude, like I heard, <laughs> you're my armor bearer, you play music for me, it's great, you're a worship leader, good job. You got skinny jeans on, your hair's long and flowy, um, you smell like sheep, why do you think you even have what it takes? Dude, you're not gonna do this, you cannot go fight him, he's a warrior. And David says, uh, excuse me, hold, hold on real quick, I'm gonna be as respectful as I can, your highness, your honor, all the things, so sorry, but I wanna tell you, like, I've killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine is nothing compared to killing a lion. Nothing compared to killing a bear. And I've kind of looked at some shepherding books and read some things because I'm not a shepherd. I don't have sheep. My good friend Chad does, but I do not. And so I've looked at it, and 
Yes, he had a sling with a rock, but to kind of like use a sling and a rock at a lion, they would probably wait far enough outside where he could throw, and then maybe the rock wouldn't hit the right spot to be able to kill him. And so I've seen that what a shepherd boy would do is that they would twirl that sling, but as the lion or the bear approached, they would jump out of the way and bash it either up or down, kind of like those sticks that have the rocks on them that a lot of people in Africa use to kill lions. This boy has, is not a boy. He's a man. And everybody's laughing at him. His brother laughs at him. Now the king is laughing at him. It's one thing to have your family reject you. It's another thing to have the person who's in charge reject you. And yet David knows what God has told him, and he knows what he's seen in his experiences, which is, I've killed the lion and the bear. God has saved me from the paw of the lion and the bear. I'm telling you, he will save me from this man. The Saul's of the world will hear that and say, what arrogance. The Iliabs of the world will hear that and say, what wickedness. And yet David, maybe a little cocky, didn't get a word from the Lord to go fight Goliath, didn't have the heavens part and tell him, you must save Israel. He just knows in his heart, this is a beast challenging my people, God's people. I got to do something about it. Do you know the difference between right and wrong in your heart? Go with what is right. doesn't matter how wrong some people may say it is. Is it right? And so David says, hey, I'll do it. And so Saul says, fine, put on my armor, though. So this little boy puts on this giant man's armor, bronze helmet, the whole thing looks like Goliath. So maybe he's trying to make David look more menacing than he is. But then also I'm wondering if maybe Saul wants David to look like him so that if anybody sees him win, then maybe Saul gets the victory. The Saul spirit is conniving and is out for himself. And it's a crazy world. David puts on the armor. He walks around with it. He says, oh, man. I haven't trained with this. And I like what the old NASB says, because there's a 2020 version out now, but the 1995 version says, I have not tested this yet. David takes off his armor, picks up his staff, picks up his sling and a pouch, goes and picks up five stones, puts them in his pouch, and goes down to the front line. Do you see the difference? Saul tried to take his own baggage that he couldn't even hide under, his own armor, and tries to put his baggage, his insecurity, even his calling, his blessing, his favor onto David and says, you have to fight like this. And David says, hey, I love you so much. I'm so sorry. It's been awesome to minister with you, but like I haven't tested it this way. I have to do it my way. I have to do it the way that God's given me to do it. And so... Saul says, dude, good luck. David goes down. Goliath laughs at him. There's this whole interchange. Go back and check it out. I've got a couple minutes left. There's this whole interchange back and forth. And David finally says to the Philistine, you came to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
Goliath calls out the servants of Saul. David corrects him and says, no, we're the servants of God. Even though David is subject to the king, subject to Saul, David still recognizes God's authority. This is a man after God's own heart. Submit to who you need to submit to, but walk under the leadership, the authority, and the leading of God the Father. He defies him. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, will strike you and remove your head from you. Then I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will hand you over to us. Goliath threatened David in like ways. Hey, you, like, you, you didn't even come at me with a sword. I'm going to scatter your bones for the birds. And he comes back and says, no, 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 no. God's going to deliver you into my hands. And guess what I'm going to do with you and your boys? And David casts the stone. Boom. Kills Goliath. He falls down. Somehow, let's say David's my size. And Goliath is like eight, nine foot tall. I wish Jason Driver were here. That'd be awesome. Uh, just kidding. I love you, Jason. Uh, but big, as big as Jason, bigger than Jason, that man falls. Probably has a huge sword, heavier than anything David's lifted. David lifts it up, removes the head, picks up the head, the whole thing. All because David knows who he is and doesn't decide to hide in his baggage. He frees the entire country of Israel with one sound. And then the second sound. And then the third sound of falling. What weapons are you trying to take into a spiritual battle that are only meant for a physical battle? Because I'm telling you, there's spiritual weapons that we need to be walking in with greater authority in these days. All the questions of sickness, all the questions of elections, all the questions that we have in our government, everything. We've we stock up on ammo, we stock up on all the different things that we need, and yet we don't even stock up on prayer. What are we stocking up with? Are we stocking up with the things of God or the things of the earth? The things of the earth will only defend us so far, whereas the things of God, God can turn around an entire battle with one little boy like that. All because he said yes to every test he was given. Saul failed a majority of tests, and yet he still got up and still did his thing. But David had been tested. And so when he's in the middle of some testing, he knows what he can rely on. Do you know what you can rely on? Have you spent time in the presence of God in the difficult seasons? Have you spent time in the presence of God with your family? Have you cultivated a secret place with the Lord that when you get put in the middle of an impossible situation, you go, man, I've been here before, and watch. I know exactly what to do. It's all about the nature of your calling and not the nature of how God calls you, but where you're found when you're called. Where were you called? Where did you meet Jesus? What were you in? God doesn't want you to ignore that and forget that. He wants to bring you up despite that and lead you forward so you can be that person you've always been, just now in the power and the authority and the light of Jesus Christ.
David had family ignore him and laugh at him. He had a king ignore him and laugh at him, but kind of send him on his way to die. Goliath, the monster, laughed at him. And yet David held to his guns of who God was in him and who he was in God. And that's how he found victory. C.S. Lewis said it this, this way. Put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. Saul put second things first. He put the winning of the battle first instead of listening to God, and he lost his authority. David put God first and then won the battle. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now, we are at a crossroads of maybe having acted very much like Saul placing second things first, hoping for both when we're losing them. Some of us are being found in our baggage right now, and it feels exposing. It feels um, like we're being attacked, and yet, God, you are inviting us out of our baggage and into the light. Father, allow us to leave our baggage with you, the keeper of baggage, the keeper of the supplies, the keeper of resource, the keeper of calling. Allow us to leave everything that we don't need to carry in your hands. And as we do, would you show us how to walk with a heart like David that says yes to you first and gets the world thrown in with it. Matthew 6 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these lesser things, all these other things will be added unto you. God, thank you that you want to add things to us. Thank you that you see us, you call us, and you gift us to be able to walk out the road that you've given. We love you, Lord. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.